Welcome into the Oxen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show. As always, it's the middle of the week. It's hump day. It's the day before Christmas Eve. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to all of you. Uh, we are opening up our mailbag, uh, and we are going to break down and answer a lot of questions that were submitted over the week from you guys. A lot to talk about. But first, if you're looking for that, last minute Christmas gift, or if you want to buy a Christmas gift for yourself, consider subscribing to DuckTerritory.com for $1 for your first month, $9.95 thereafter that, or you could buy an annual membership for $75.18. With this membership, you get the inside scoop on the Oregon Ducks. You get into the know on all things on the horizon for Oregon football, so you don't see it on social media and go, whoa, what? How did this happen? When did this happen? Was this even possible? You get expert analysis. You get opinion. You get to read all the content across the 24-7 Sports Network, not just our stuff, uh, but everybody's across all team platforms. You get to join an an awesome Oregon Duck football community, uh, basketball community, just Oregon community in general. And it supports the show. That's the, you know, this is the most impactful way you could support the show as well. All right, Eric, uh, we've got some questions. Uh, we've got a mix of looking ahead, looking back, kind of present day. Uh, let's get down into this. All right, let's start with this question from at Tosh Myers. I think this is a good one to kind of just open up the discussion here. Who are guys on this year's football team that will make a jump over the offseason and play a big role next year? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Thank you for using the hashtag, Tosh. Um, I figured we could each pick a couple guys offense, a couple guys defense to do sure. this. And I'm sure this is an exercise we'll, we'll discuss quite a bit during the offseason. But this is kind of a jump on it, um, something we typically do discuss or kind of the breakout players concept. So let's start here. I think for me, offensively, and it's a player I just, got, I just kind of wrapped up writing a story on yesterday and who I think made a pretty good, big impression against USC in the Pac-12 championship game, and that was Sean Dollars. Um, he's a guy who we hadn't seen really carry the ball at all in meaningful situations in his career. He had a couple carries, about half a dozen against Portland State last year. He had one carry against Stanford this year, one for negative five yards. And yet, because of an injury to C.J. Burdell and because of some game plan kind of things, he gets out there and has seven carries, 52 yards. Basically, all of his carries were, were positive and had a couple big ones that kind of sparked drives. So I was really impressed with the way Sean Dollars ran in that game. And I look at the team and I think it's unclear about what the future holds with CJ Burdell. And that will shape some of this conversation because obviously if CJ Burdell is coming back and on the team next year, that limits the opportunity for a player like Sean Dollars to really touch the ball much. But I think it's pretty clear. Oregon just played a game with a ton on the line without CJ Burdell and Sean Dollars had the second well, he had the third most carries. They kind of split it between Travis Dye and Cyrus Abibilikio. Um, Abibilikio averaged about a little under two yards per carry. Dollars averaged about seven per carry or per touch. Um, I think that's kind of, to me, a preview of what next year's running back rotation might look like if C.J. Verdell isn't in the in, you know isn't in the picture. So I look at Sean Dollars as somebody who I, I fully am anticipating that Travis Dye is probably going to be on the field, getting the most snaps. I don't know if he's going to get the most carries because they utilize him in a lot of different, he's a lot of, wears a lot of different hats, right? Catches the ball out of the backfield, super dynamic there. We see him 
you know, in these, in these games without Verdell touching the ball quite a bit. But, like, I could see a scenario where Sean Dollars is really impactful a year from now as a running back. So there's a, there's a name right there. And then I think at wide receiver, there's a couple of guys who I think have the upside to really take a jump. And I don't know exactly what kind of role we want to say, like a Michael Pittman and Devin Williams have, but like, let's just put it this way. Assuming Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red are gone. And maybe we can't make those assumptions uh, similar to CJ Verdell. I don't, I, I think there's a real possibility. Those guys could come back. Okay. And if those guys do come back, this is a little different here, but I, if those guys aren't there, those two guys immediately are receivers 1A and 1B next year, right? Um, Devin Williams and Micah Pittman, both guys have been in and out of the lineup due to a variety of reasons. Pittman basically missed three games for, I, we can all say, basically contract contact tracing. They won't officially come out and say that. We asked him a little bit about that. He wouldn't go into details. Um, but like Devin Williams missed one game. But when those guys were out there, they were really impactful. And I think, I think Matt's right in terms of we can't completely – you know, the expectation can't entirely be that Red and Johnson right. aren't back next year. Like that can't be something we just. Sit, we I think there's probably a. Me. I think I think there's probably a better chance. The most likely scenario: one comes back, one doesn't. And I think that's fair. And and from my perspective, I would think Johnny Johnson probably has a little better draft upside just based on his size and athleticism than a Jalen Red, who's very undersized. But maybe Jalen Red's somebody who just figures, hey. I'm going to go get an opportunity to get a paycheck in the NFL as a return specialist, as a special teams guy. Maybe as maybe I mean, we see receivers in the NFL who aren't that much taller than him getting big paydays. Obviously, he's no Tyreek Hill. Nobody is. That guy, guy has like 15 touchdowns this year as like a 5'9", 5'10", receiver. But I, I just kind of think, you know, there's going to be if, – if one or both of those guys leave, those guys are immediately elevated and take a step up. And I know we've seen both of them make big plays and perform at a high level. I just think that opportunity remains – um, offensively, who are a couple guys in offense for you? And then I'll uh, I'll take a couple stabs at defensive guys after you're done. I, I'm gonna make a big assumption. Okay. Here, Henry Cattleman, or not Henry Cattleman, uh, uh, Henry Hunter Campmoyer. You're not the only one who's making that mistake, by the way. The Cattleman, it's the two H, <laughs> the two HKs on the team. Um, senior tight end Hunter Campmoyer. I I I mean, it's been a revolutionary year for him as a senior tight end for the ducks in which he came into the year, not really having done anything statistically for, for the Oregon ducks in his first two and a half years of, of playing tight end or two years of, of previously being a tight end. And as a senior, this is a guy that that's, up there in terms of big playability for, for Oregon. I mean, he's fourth on a team in receptions with 1,133 yards, which isn't a ton, but understand it's also what Oregon played six games. He wasn't available for two or three of those games. He finishes with uh, three touchdowns, one off the touchdown high of Travis die. I, I think Hunter Campmoyer could be a guy where there is plenty of reason unless he's just fed up and done with school done with football i think he could come back next year because he's not going to play in the nfl right now but maybe a, a, a strong full season puts him on that radar i i i'm really intrigued by i mean i'm, I'm blown away at, at who he's turned himself into as a player 
Absolutely. Because you watch him, what he was the previous couple of seasons, and he was a, a strictly a run-blocking guy, and he's more than that this season. Um, I don't think the tight end position from the young guys, there hasn't been a guy to emerge. I mean, Spencer Webb broke his collarbone, was out for the year. We don't really know why Patrick Herbert hasn't played a, a down, hasn't even suited up. Cam McCormick has suited up, but just hasn't been able to get out on the field yet. And then DJ Johnson is another one that's had a, a, a solid start to his career at tight end, making that transition this past spring. So, I mean, maybe I'll, maybe I'll give myself an out one of Hunter Campmoyer and DJ Johnson. I like that. Could, could be the breakout guy. Um, I think Travis die. I, I like your, your Sean dollars pick. Uh, he looks good. in, in his one game of, of real significant playing time, which was against USC. But I also think while Travis Dye isn't a breakout star, I think he could go from, from an Oregon fan perspective, I think he could go from being a, a household name within the Oregon fan base to a household name in the country at running back next season as a senior, because he averaged seven yards a carry this year. Like, awesome. like really, really good running production from, him and I, I don't think it it was really close between him and Verdell. I, I think he was by far the better runner this year um, on the ground. And then you add in the fact that Travis had eight catches, two hundred twenty-one yards receiving, and four touchdowns. Uh, I, I think a second year in Joe Moorhead's offense, you know, the quarterbacks fully understanding where the running backs are at. I just think. Die could be that that guy who maybe he doesn't go for a thousand yards next year on the ground, but it wouldn't surprise me either if he's like a 700, 600 guy, like 700 yards rushing, 600 yards receiving, and finishes the year with 1300 total yards and 12 touchdowns, like receiving and rushing. But that, that wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Um, so I, I think that's one, and we also tend to, I think, gravitate. And I did, I did the same thing initially. Skill guys, skill guys, skill guys, skill guys. But I think another year in the system for Malasala Omave Lalu uh, and also um, Alex Forsyth, I think those two guys could really elevate their, their game and their play, especially Sala. Uh, I, I think he's probably better suited as a right guard, as a, as a guard than a tackle. And with the, Expected arrival of Kingsley Sato Matia, and um, I butchered his name as well, but I'm trying. Uh, and also <laughs> Bram Walden, um, those two tackles, I think Oregon's tackle positions get a little bit better depth, and they can put Sala back at guard where I think he's better suited. And we could, we could really see this offensive line really jump up. A couple of defensive guys I'll run through in a second here. I just wanted to just to shout out to Campmore. I don't think I can think of a, a guy, who, who's been a player you can think of who's made a bigger strides as a pass receiver in one offseason. Like none. I legitimately like he went from a guy where it was like he's not going to do anything. Everybody cringed if the ball was thrown at him to now it's like he caught what three, three or four touchdown passes. I think four touchdown passes led the team in touchdown receptions. Um, made some tough. I mean, like made some tough catches. I mean, like, I know like, he didn't have the Jacob Breland in traffic catches very much, but even the touchdown against USC and he had Talanoa Funga coming at him. And I think it was Chris Steele in front of him, two of the better defensive backs in this conference, you know, coming after him. And he had to hold on to that through contact. So like, I, I mean, big tip of the cap there. I love that pick. 
assuming he's coming back. And I think that's, again, that's what adds to the kind of intrigue of this is unlike previous years and Sean Dollar has joked about this, he's going to be a third year freshman in 2021. Right. <laughs> so uh, the, the lack of players that losing eligibility adds to this a couple of defensive guys. Real, real quick, real quick, real quick. Yeah. 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 Um, I also want to throw out freshmen on the team. I, I, I think Kingsley could be one. And I also think Troy and Dante, Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton, and I'm going to take a stab and think, you know, Ty Thompson might push himself into that discussion as well. Those guys aren't on this current team, Matt. So you're, oh, you're that's break, true. That's you're true. Break, I, beat, you, I beat the question. So you're, you're breaking the rules. No, it's fine. I, right. I, I, I like that we're including those guys, though. No, I think that's fair. We're, we'll have a lot of discussions in the coming months about kind of who we think is going to break out. And I think you're right with including those guys, especially um, those two wide receivers. I go, boy. Like that's, I mean, regard whoever comes back is going to have a hard time taking minutes from these freshmen. I know sometimes it takes a bit, a minute or two for freshmen to get ready, but the talent there is, is really incredible defensively. A couple of guys that stand out to me. Um, I think we just saw the tip of the iceberg for Jamal Hill. I and mean, he's a guy who's already has a big role. You know, we're a couple of these guys that we mentioned already have big roles, but I could see Jamal Hill being somebody who he was not on the all conference team, which is released on Tuesday. I could see him being like an all, you know a first team selection kind of guy in 2021. Mm-hmm. Upside is super high there. Um, big, rangy, athletic. Showed the ball skills. Both those interceptions were were a little tough, especially the second one was honestly like that's going to be one of those plays that people point to for a while now as just like wasn't that one of the more athletic interceptions? To not only was it athletic and you know and and impressive in its own right, but to seal a game. I can't think of many plays more impressive than the one he made. I think there's going to be a lot more of that going forward and then another one i just a couple other guys i wanted to note i I said two to start with we're naming more another defensive back and i'll just pick two here because i i'll I'll kind of do what matt did here because it's kind of unclear exactly how this is going to play out i think well no i'll i'll I'll, I'll limit it to one because dante may didn't play this year so i don't i have no understanding of expectations of what he's going to be how about dj james as somebody to replace diomede lenore that's Yes, a senior who I think we all kind of agree is probably not going to be back on this team next year. Probably in terms of the one senior that you look at and just say, there's absolutely no reason why you should come back. Yeah. I was going to say he has the lowest odds of anybody on this team to actually return. I just don't see it. It doesn't make sense for a variety of reasons. Um, Second team all conference this year. We should note Mikhail Wright was first team, but I see DJ James as somebody who takes a big step. And then on the defensive line, how about Brandon Dorless? Somebody who really liked that, who like, boy, he pushes, he pushed his way into this too. Like you know, Austin value, Jordan Scott, come back. This guy's out there playing a ton, very disruptive. We talk, obviously Kayvon Thibodeau deservedly got a ton of recognition, you know, game MVP honors in the faculty championship game, but Dorless got a sack. He was in there a couple of times. I think he was one of the players on that final play of the game who was, you know, either making contact with or tracking down Keaton Slovis and forcing <laughs> what was a, a legal touching penalty on 77 for USC who caught the football when, I mean, you can't, I can't really fault him. I mean, how many times is, is an offensive lineman going to get the ball thrown his way with the game on the line? You can't really fault him for making an effort there, but he can't touch the ball there, and that was largely due to the play of Dorless. So I think those three guys are guys that stand out to me that I know Hill starting. Dorless plays a lot. James is playing a decent amount. But those are three guys who I think can even take their games and, and their roles can be even a little bit larger in 2021. Matt, do you have anyone else on defense? Yeah, I, I'm with you on Dorless and DJ James. I, I think 
both those guys are future star players for Oregon. And we kind of said that at the beginning of the year, it was just, they needed to wait their turn. And for Dorless, he, he pushed his way in and forced himself onto the football field. Uh, DJ James was a guy because of the opt-outs we knew was going to play a little bit more than maybe it was expected this time last year. But Nonetheless, both guys have really stood out. And real quick, I want to apologize if, if you hear loud noises coming from my house. Uh, there's some construction going on, and there's just no way around it. So I apologize. It's not up to our standard, but I can't get past it. Um, now I got that out of the way. Uh, <laughs> secondly, um, one other guy that I – is Jamal Hill, like, do we look at him as, like, a standout performer? Oh, I, I, I included him. Yeah, I, I think so. I think he's somebody you can include in this. Okay. Because I look at him and think we really saw his potential against USC, stopping the run, two interceptions, game-changing plays. He really could elevate himself to that Jamal, you know, Javon Holland type level that we saw Holland take in 2019, but from Hill in 2021. Like it I don't know if, if Jamal's going to go from, you know, being a sophomore in 2020 and then in 2021 after that football season is over with, we're talking that Jamal Hill is a potential first round draft pick, but that's kind of, I'm expecting though a jump where we're looking at Jamal going into the 2022 season thinking this is an NFL guy. Now it's just, where does he fall from the draft pick perspective? Is he going to be a, first or second round pick or is he going to be a middle tier guy or a bottom tier guy uh from an nfl draft perspective i think that's kind of the trajectory that we're on for for jamal hill um and then how about justin Flo? i was like, just gonna i was just gonna bring this up matt we talked off air about how he might we oregon could have three straight pack 12 freshman of the year and flows the other one right like flow I'm not quite sure where he plays because he's not automatically going to overtake Noah Sewell because Sewell beat beat him out for the Mike linebacker spot. I'm not 100% sold that Flo will will beat out Isaac Slade Matuatia, but he could maybe make it where they share that role. Um, and I do think there is maybe a possibility that you, that. Oregon might go with and say, you know what? We're just a lot of guys in and out, not necessarily because of talent, maybe availability, what have you on one of the outside spots, knowing Flo is just a freak athlete. We might see him bounce to the outside possibly as a, as a, as a, another edge rusher for Oregon, like get your three best linebackers on the field. I, I think he, I think Flo Sewell and Isaac Slade Matuatia are probably your three best linebackers from just a pure talent athleticism standpoint. And you got to figure out a way to get him on the field at some somehow. Agree. Yeah. No, I'm kicking myself for not bringing that one up. I was, if you hadn't mentioned him, I was on the tip of just jumping into the fact that, well, there's this guy named Justin Flo, who's the second best recruit in program history, who didn't get to play this year because of injury. Don't be surprised if he is somebody who's at least involved a little bit um, in 2021 and, and could have a big role. I, I, there's a lot of candidates here. And this is what makes this team so exciting is there's a lot of players who, I think could take that step. I mean, it's a very young football team. Cristobal said how many times this is, you know, the youngest football team in the country. Three quarters of this team is, is, you know, freshmen and sophomores, a uh, really, really young group. So a lot to be excited from a good question from Tosh. We're going to move it on here to the, these, these second and third questions tie together 
but uh, we'll start with the one from at D more underscore 44. I don't care what the stats say. Tyler Shuck does not pass the eye test, does not have the swagger slash confidence needed to be an elite quarterback, plays scared, regressed. AB may not be the answer, but when you don't trust your quarterback to throw it on third down in the second half, isn't it time to find out? Um, we've discussed this a little bit, but I figured this could be another opportunity to kind of open this discussion up here, Matt, of is this, is this the time that you just roll with Anthony Brown in the bowl game? Or are you still kind of feeling, and I know we discussed this a little bit on the, pre, on the post-game show, of like, or are you still thinking you start Tyler Shuck and you continue to find a role for Anthony Brown, much like they did in the game, the game against USC, where he probably plays, I don't know, a dozen, maybe a dozen and a half snaps in certain situations um, just to get another player out there? Or are you thinking, hey, maybe this is the time to just you, – you just roll with Shuck the whole way through? Like, what would your mindset be if you were Joe Moorhead or, or Mario Cristobal here? Similar approach that you took against USC. Um, one, Joe Moorhead, I think, really detailed and explained in a good manner for why they didn't throw the football as much in the second half because – he said, as a play caller, as someone who loves to throw the ball down the field, he mentioned how they were top three in the conference in passing attempts, and you know they they've taken plenty of shots down the field. Uh, they didn't because sometimes you have to do what's best for the team, even though it goes against what you like calling, aka pass plays to run plays because of the exotic things that the Trojans were doing, the talent that they had. We're also quick to point out that Oregon's tackles could not handle for the most part the pass rush that the USC Trojans were getting off the edges. Um, almost every, every drop back, the quarterback either had to flush himself out of the pocket, get sacked, or push himself up into the pocket to evade the pass rush because the tackles were not doing a very good job of protecting themselves. So that's one thing. A second thing here, Anthony Brown's reputation at Boston College was a passing quarterback. He was a guy that threw the ball downfield, was – a big play thrower, uh, accurate quarterback, was, was someone that everyone said was his best strength, was throwing the football down the field, was not a short dink and dunk type guy, was not a scrambling type guy. And Oregon put him into the game, and they didn't ask him to throw the ball down the field. I mean, let's <laughs> not sit here and pretend that Anthony Brown, when he came into the game, was slinging it all over the football field. He threw three, th four passes, completed two, and or I think three. three. Yeah, three. Two touchdowns. And yes. was like 17 yards. He had two touchdowns, but 17 yards, one of which should have been an interception. He should have an interception to his name. He threw a pick. Talano Hafunga just dropped it when he was falling to the ground, and the ground helped personally impact the interception. Well, that would have been unbelievably costly because it would have been a turnover inside the red zone. The Ducks got lucky, scored a touchdown on the next play as Travis Dye. We should also note that Anthony Brown had a fumble himself. Oregon just was able to recover it. So it's not like Anthony Brown was a superstar in this game. And they didn't ask him to do what he was best at doing at Boston College against USC. So like, I line with you find a role with Anthony Brown, which Oregon coaches have said now going into the Trojans game was goal line situations and also – Short yardage situations. They wanted they wanted him in there for those two play for those two situations. Um, if you can't get Tyler Shuck's confidence going into it uh, into this game, 
at a, at a good level. And if he's not playing well and it's evident, Hey, he's just off. You make the call early in the game to pull him and, and to put Anthony Brown in full time. If you commit a whole half to tower shuck, you better not pull him in the second half because I, I, I would, I would really feel uneasy about putting in a quarterback who has very limited reps in a big bowl game coming off cold and being asked to lead the team to move the point, you know, to move the ball down the field and score touchdowns uh, when you've not really used them all year long. Um, I think Oregon's kind of been dealt the hand that they've been dealt this year at quarterback. And you, you have to live and ride and die with what you have right now. And you've started Chuck, you played Chuck 95% of the snaps, 99% of the snaps this year. And I just think you go into Iowa state thinking Shuck is your guy. Let's find some kind of a role for Anthony Brown, but it's too, it, I don't see a quarterback change unless, unless the practices leading up to the bowl game, Oregon coaches just don't see it from Shuck and his confidence is, is totally shot. It's a confidence issue. It's not a, it's not a lack of talent issue because we've seen, we've seen Shuck, be one of the better quarterbacks in the country earlier this year. And he's just in a funk. And if they can't get him out of it and they are certain he's not going to be out of it going into this bowl game, that's the only scenario. I think you, you make the change. Yeah. I think this is a Tyler Shuck related decision, not an Anthony Brown related decision, but you know, that's not to say you don't go into these practices thinking, wow, Anthony, you know, it, or come out of these practices and if you go, wow, Anthony Brown is going to give us the best chance to win. We're going to start him. And if that's the case, that's going to be because of Tyler Shuck from my perspective. You know, like we, everybody kind of knows what Anthony Brown is when he came into the program. He's a solid starting quarterback at the Power 5 level. And clearly the staff, when they brought him in, wanted that experience, but also felt Tyler Shuck had a much higher upside. And I think we've seen that higher upside. I mean, you go... Go look at like, and I probably could have pulled this up. But I didn't know if we were going to jump into this specifically. Like if you pull up Anthony Brown's like three best games at Boston College and you pull up Tyler Shuck's three best games from this season, like Tyler Shuck's upside is better, like point blank. And, and if, you're gonna, if they're very close, you pick the younger guy every single time because he'll be with the team longer. Right. And so my, my point here is like, if it, it, to me, like what, it, how, what Anthony Brown is, is less of a factor than what Tyler Shuck is. And if Tyler Shuck has regressed and continues to play scared, and these are the words D more used, which and I don't necessarily disagree with the fact that he is clearly playing worse now than he did at the beginning of the season. And I agree. I doesn't look like somebody who's very comfortable out there in the pocket. If you know, when, when there is pressure and Matt brings up a good point, there was a lot of pressure against USC, um, but he hasn't handled it well. And if he's not in a place where he can continue to handle that, and Iowa State is, is not USC from an athlete perspective, but their front is – they've got some big, strong, athletic guys. They get after the quarterback a little bit. They're not, they're not a pushover defense. Um, if he just isn't right and you make that determination, like Matt says, you make that determination early or you make that determination before the game, if it's that clear. If you go into the – if you get to a couple of days before the game and you just go, this isn't getting any better. Tyler Shuck's not going to give us a chance to win this football game. For us to win this game, it's going to be despite our quarterback play, not because of. And if you get to that point, you make the change and you go Anthony Brown. And I think everybody, I think there'd be people who are comfortable with that. But I don't think this is a Anthony Brown is just going to flat out beat out Tyler Shuck now 
because he's the better quarterback. I think they've known all along that Tyler Shuck gives is the higher upside player. It's just Tyler's really not playing very well. He's in a funk. Something's not right there. Maybe going back home and getting to play in front of his family in Arizona. Maybe right. that'll be a big motivating factor. Maybe that needs to be a big storyline entering this game. Fans, sorry, not fans, but you know, limited family members will be at this game. Tyler Shuck's family lives in the surrounding area near the Fiesta Bowl. They will be at this game. Maybe that'll be something that really sparks him. He hasn't had that opportunity yet. Maybe just seeing his family a little bit. I don't know what capacity. If they can, they probably can't even really be. Maybe they can talk to each other across a fence or something like that. I don't even know if they can really be face to face because of the COVID stuff. But like, maybe that's a big thing for him. So I'm with you though. I, I, as much as I've been down on Tyler, you've been down on Tyler. Everyone's been down on how he's played recently. The upside's still there, and the reality is. And this brings us, this is a transition into the third question here from at Johnny Decay, which we'll jump into here momentarily. Of this is also, it's about winning this game, but it's also about thinking big picture here and about what happens in 2021. And if you bench Tyler Shuck going into this game in favor of Anthony Brown, you're sending a very clear message about what 2021 holds, I think. And if you're Tyler Shuck, that doesn't help you at all. And, and, you know, because I think, again, I think this is more mental than physical. And I still think there's upside that Tyler Shuck can be a good quarterback. So let's jump into the third question here before we get to the break. So we don't belabor this too much. But from at Johnny the K, do you think Tyler Shuck will be the starting quarterback in the first game of fall 2021? Why or why not? Um, and this is this is a nuanced question. Some of it's going to depend upon what we see in the Fiesta Bowl. But I will say this. And I think I said this at this point before. Unless Tyler Shuck is like Fiesta Bowl MVP, throws for like 400 yards, five touchdowns, doesn't make any mistakes, runs the ball effectively, does everything that you could ask for. Unless he does that and he checks out every single one of the boxes, which I don't necessarily expect. I think that's pretty, based on what we've seen recently, that seems like a stretch to expect that. There is going to be some sort of quarterback competition this offseason. But I still right now feel like, I know Oregon fans are going to hate me saying this, I still feel like he's He's like he's the incumbent, and he has a year of experience in this offense. And my expectation is that like he's got at least like a fifty to sixty to sixty-five, maybe seventy percent chance of being the starting quarterback. I know Matt, you hate doing the percentage games. You hate putting numbers on things like this. But like, do you agree that like going into twenty twenty-one, Tyler Shuck probably has better odds that he's going to be the starting quarterback than anybody else? Yes, I believe that one hundred percent. I I think there's a better chance that Shuck is your day one starter. Uh, who do they play? Fresno State to open the 2021 football season. Um, then Oregon playing another or another opponent, or it's not another opponent. Then Oregon playing another quarterback. Um, I almost, Eric. This sounds a little crazy. I almost would put better odds that Jay Butterfield is the number two quarterback at Oregon. Then Ty Thompson. What if Anthony Brown's around? Anthony Brown's number two. Yeah, agree. Like, like, I just think the jump from high school to college is extremely d- difficult. Maybe he should have done it. Maybe he shouldn't have. But Justin Herbert wasn't even the day one starter in 2016. It's true. Trevor Lawrence wasn't the day one starter. Going into Clemson when he when he showed up, what was that? 2017, 18? 18. Yep, true. Uh Tua wasn't the day yep. one starter. Um Justin Fields wasn't the day one starter at Georgia or uh, he was the day one starter at Ohio State, but he wasn't the day one starter at Georgia. Um 
Keaton Slovis at USC was not the day one starter. USC tried uh, to do JT um, Daniel Daniel at quarterback, and he was not impressive. And he was what one of the top quarterbacks in the country. Another five, if not the top quarterback. Yeah. Yep. 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 So like this idea that a true look Oregon is a playoff contending team in 2021 and you want to ride the most important position on the team that has the most impact on you making the college football playoff or not. You want to entrust a true freshman who's never seen that level of competition before when you're set at every other position. It's a tough I mean, ask. It's a tough it's, ask. It's a very big risk. I mean, you gamble and it pays off. It pays off. You gamble and it doesn't. You just wasted a prime window to to get to the college football playoff. I mean, Fresno State's a good team. Ohio State on the road is your second game of the year. Now, it wouldn't surprise me if maybe Shuck comes out and plays okay, good to okay against Fresno State struggles at Ohio state. It wouldn't surprise me if they come out and say, and this is way down the rabbit hole, but it wouldn't surprise me one bit if they come out and say, okay, Stony Brook, Tyler Shuck is going to get the start, but we're going to, we're going to throw in whoever is the number two quarterback for a couple series in the first half and a couple series in the second half with the first team off offense. So we can get a good feel of what that guy looks like with the first unit. And if that guy performs at a high level, we could, and Tower Shuck struggles again, we could see a switch going into Pac-12 play. I think we're in lockstep on this one. And uh, I know those listening probably wish I would push back here and, and say, no, it's going to be Ty Thompson. The true freshman is, he's the truth. He's the answer. He's going to be the guy immediately. He's, he's Mariota, you know, reincarnate. He's everything, et cetera. But like, that's also putting like incredible pressure on this guy. And, and like the reality is, is like everybody loved Tyler Shuck until they stopped loving Tyler Shuck. And if you're Ty Thompson, like everybody likes these guys until they don't, they start seeing stuff they don't like. And that's not to say Ty Thompson can't be different and he can't be. And I understand he's the highest rated quarterback recruit Oregon's ever had. So there's a ton of excitement and that's, that's deserving. That's deserved excitement. You know, heck by the end of this thing, he might be a five-star recruit. And that's not out of the realm of possibilities. It'll come down to some, how some of these recruiting rankings play out. But, like, the reality here is, and I know this wasn't necessarily the question, but we're responding to a broader concept that you see online a lot. But the reality here is you've got an incumbent starting quarterback in Tyler Shuck. You might have Anthony Brown on the roster next year. Jay Butterfield's no slouch. And you're bringing in Ty Thompson, and you're expecting him to beat all those guys out, guys who are two, three, four. Anthony Brown's probably like, heck, five, six years older than, than Ty Thompson. Expecting him to be better than them immediately, that's putting a ton of pressure on him. And again, like Matt ran through some of these great, great quarterbacks that are – and these are just guys that are still playing. I mean, there's guys – there's better examples out there of guys that, that aren't – you know, I mean, like Marcus Mariota needed to redshirt for a season. And I know those circumstances are different because Oregon was coming off of a, you know, a national championship appearance, et cetera. But like – it's not always as simple as the best recruit's going to come in and play a lot. And we've mentioned this at other position groups. We've seen it at Oregon a ton of times. But, and it's, but like we've seen it at like positions like, again, Kayvon Thibodeau didn't start. And this is a different position. And quarterback is more difficult than defensive line, from my perspective, to come in and jump into. And Gus Cumberlander 
is not as good of a player from my perspective at his position as Tyler Shuck is at quarterback. So this notion that a true freshman just immediately walks in and is going to be the answer is it's there's faulty logic there. Everyone's different. Every recruit is different. Every circumstance is different. Some kids are just made different. They're special. And Hey, maybe, maybe we'll be totally, there'll be egg on our face nine months from now and fall camp will be coming out and it'll be like, Ty Thompson is the real deal. He's going to be the guy. And everybody be like, well, I told you, but like, I think that's a lot to ask. And again, I think we both wrap it up here before we jump to the break. I think we both just feel pretty good that like, not feel good, but we feel fairly confident that with what is on the line next year and what's at stake next year, Tyler Shuck is going to be the quarterback unless somebody really, really takes a step and beats him out or this kind of regression continues and he has the yips or whatever you want to call it, something that he just can't get past. And you see this with athletes sometimes. And I, it's kind of crazy because I can't think of, and this is the thing that's frustrating that one specific moment with Tyler Shuck, where it just things stopped playing. Cause he was playing really well against Oregon state. He had a strong first half against Cal. And yet suddenly the last one, you know, six, six quarters of football, he has really been bad. I just think that the, the odds seem to me higher that he takes a, another step, plays well in this bowl game, and can be a good enough quarterback next year to keep you in that conversation than anyone else on the roster. That's where I stand. I know that's not going to be the popular opinion for fans because everybody wants to, to bitch and moan because Tyler's been bad, and I admit he has. But that's where I'm at right now. And, and again, unless somebody jumps in and just steals this job, I think it's going to be his job to start 2021. All right, let's take a quick break, come back. We'll wrap up the show with three more uh, mailbag questions. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show. Three questions in, three more to go. Fourth question from at Crystal Orndef. What's the ceiling for Oregon football recruiting? Top 10 or top five? Crystal didn't, um, and I, I actually don't mind that she didn't be at quite a specific here because it allows us to answer both kind of theoreticals here. Is this speaking to the 2021 recruiting class or is this speaking to just in general? So let's answer both. Matt, for 2021, Oregon currently ranked sixth in the 247 team rankings right now. Class still has some room to be added to. Other programs around the country also have some room to be added to. Is this a top five or a top 10 class when, when everything's said and done? Probably more top 10. They could probably get into the top five, but I just... I don't, they're going to have to hit like best case scenario for a lot of spots to get into that top three or four or five spot. And I just don't see that happening. Other schools will land some big guys. So I think top 10, which is like, look, it's awesome. Like, no kidding. (laughs) It's going to be okay. Um, Long term perspective, big picture. That was the second part I wanted to ask. Top five. Like, I I truly legitimately believe that if, Oregon repeats as the Pac-12 champion for a third time in 2021. Let, let's just – I think they'll sign the number one recruiting class in the next four years. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean – and As and long the, as Crystal Ball is the head coach, they're going to sign the number one recruiting class in the next four years. Well, I, I think, think the, the way that they're recruiting, that they dominate the West Coast – Every elite player out, out West considers them a, a top school. Uh, as long as they keep winning and the trajectory of this program continues to go up, I, I, I just look at this and think 
there isn't a better recruiter out there than crystal ball. And he's got a staff that's really good at it. They've got a program that's amazing at marketing the program. They have a, a product that's winning PAC 12 titles. If this stays the same, they'll, they'll do it in four years. Yeah. My, my point was just going to be that I think the on-field production and success can, and my expectation is it will get better. And if that's the case, there's no reason that the recruiting can't follow suit. And the reality is it's Oregon and USC right now in this conference from a recruiting perspective that really matter. Washington, I know has been there recently in the past. They had a down year. Arizona state was actually really solid in 2020, not a very good class in 2021 room for them to make some improvements. So I wouldn't be surprised if they end up close to the top 25 Cal's kind of on the ascent, but it's really Oregon and USC. And unless something changes drastically, and I don't necessarily expect that to be the case. Oregon's going to continue to get or have a very good chance to land the pick of the litter out West. And you're already starting to see them expand that footprint a little bit. You look at 2022, Andre Dollar is a tight end commitment out of Oklahoma. They had a, a number of top tier guys from other parts of the country in 2021. I'm with you, Matt, in terms of, I don't, this isn't fluky now. This is three straight years where Mario has taken the recruiting prowess and just continued to build on it, build on it, build on it, build on it. Tons of five stars, tons of top, tor- top tier four stars. The best class in program history, time and again, time and again, you know, over and over now. I don't see this slowing down. And like, I think the cap is like top five. I don't expect it ever gets to number one on, on, you know, at the end of the signing day period, Matt, you probably, I don't know. Do you agree with that? I mean, I I don't, I I think it's hard to expect them to ever become a program that out recruits Alabama and out recruits Clemson and Ohio state. And even like a Georgia, like in one cycle, I think that would take just hitting an absolute grand slam and everything comes into, comes into picture. Because the reality is those guys are landing five, six, sometimes like, what was it? Ohio State a couple years ago had like nine, five stars. Right. That's a lot to ask. But I think this can be a, a you know, I can, I think if you look at the next five years, I'll make my prediction. They're going to be top 10 every single season or very close to it. Maybe they're fringe 11 or 12 once or something if, if, if it's not a great class, but that they will have a class here or there that is going to be in that three to six range. And that right there in and of itself just says a lot about what is going on from this program from a recruiting perspective, because not long ago that felt I mean, was Scott Frost was saying you couldn't recruit here. Mario Cristobal's proven that wasn't a very accurate statement. I agree with you. All right. Fifth question here. We're, we're moving on from recruiting to one of my favorites special teams from at David Strahan is Henry Cattleman already the greatest Oregon kicker in program history. And then he goes, serious question. In three games, every kick of, of his has been dead center and still ascending. What's his range? Two, love Cristobal, but what was he smoking to keep Camden Lewis out there? <laughs> um, somewhat hyperbolic to suggest that a guy who's kicked three field goals in his career is the best in program history. I know Oregon hasn't like been exactly like a place-kicking factory, and there have been some very subpar kickers that have missed some very big kicks over the years that I mean, you could boil down the 2010s and say like, they're probably like a couple Alejandro Maldonado kicks missed away from competing for a couple national championships, et cetera. But like, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's, it's a lot to say, like to suggest this dude's already after making three field goals, his longest being 40 yards, yeah. one was 21, one was 33. And I know he's hit all his extra points and he's, and he's not wrong in terms of like the 40 yarder against USC 
was true. It was right down the middle. It was great distance. It would have been good probably from 50 yards. Like I, I, I'm impressed with Henry Catalan. I don't want to diminish that part. But like it seems a little hyperbolic to be like he's the best Oregon has ever had. I mean, how about an Aiden Schneider? I mean, that guy was money. Um, Jared Siegel wasn't bad in the early 2000s. Um, Nathan Villegas was really, really good. I know that was also right around the – I think that was late 90s. Like they've had some guys with some legs. I know – like the reality is you look at these names I just ran through, none of them are like really professional place kickers. I don't know if Henry Cattleman's going to be one either. Um, that's a hard job to pin down, by the way. Like you get, there's what, 32 of those guys in the NFL. It's hard to be an NFL kick, kicker. And it makes sense. Oregon hasn't had a lot of history with those guys, but like I need a bigger sample size than three games. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and I like the kid a lot. I like the kid a lot. Yeah. I mean, you and me are both on board with this is the kicker moving forward for for Oregon but at the same time it's like guys come on like I know we're excited I know everything is out there that we're, we're jacked up for Henry Cattleman I mean he's viral he's got an awesome mustache uh, <laughs> he's a great interviewer uh, he's got a great leg but like calling him the best kicker in school history I know it was probably in jest but well, he, did, he, did, he, did, he, he did say serious question. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, like he, he's a sophomore that's never played football until he got to Oregon. He'll be a sophomore in 2021. Um, he says he has range till 55 yards. And that's when after that, he starts getting a little uncomfortable with, with ma- consistently making it. Um, I, I just think let's, let's see him in some more pressure situations before we anoint him the next elite kicker in college football the other part here that he touches on i'm not going to get into what mario Cro- no. <laughs> Mark Crystal might have in his might, might have been putting in his bowl there to smoke because that's uh that's, that's leading up to too much uh <laughs> we won't go there but like the range aspect he was asked that on tuesday and said 55 and in which i know raised everyone's eyebrows crystal ball had suggested the same thing um i'd love to see him i don't say i'd love to see him try a 55 yard field goal because that suggests it's probably a lot on the line, and that's a huge distance. But I'd be very curious to see, maybe in the next year's spring game, assuming we get one, maybe in a game that doesn't mean quite as much, maybe at like halftime of a game where that you just kind of throw, and it's it doesn't necessarily determine the outcome, to really see, like, could he hit like a 50-yard field goal? Um, because that would be significant. That kind of range is something, again, I ran through some of the kickers Oregon's had. Um, they've certainly had some good legs. That's a distance we just haven't seen. And I know... You're always going to speak with a lot of confidence when asked what your range is. No one's going to be asked how far can you kick it, and you're not going to say 38 yards because that doesn't really <laughs> build any trust in anyone. Like, yeah, I can, I, I'm, I'm good as long as we're within the 20. Like, within the red zone, I'm great, but anything out of that, I'm screwed. <laughs> but uh, I'm very curious to actually see those comments put to the test and, and see if we can actually hit it from that distance. All right, last question here from at U of O Fighting. Do you think bull momentum exists? And if so, to what extent? I know teams like Georgia, Utah, and others have seemed to fail to show up to a bull game in certain years, and it doesn't seem to hurt the trajectory of their programs. And secondly, he asks, will 2022 recruiting class be hurt by COVID? Um, let's start with the first one there. I, do th- I think it does exist in terms of like, well, I, I definitely think it exists in the positive sense that like Oregon goes out and they win their bull game it creates a totally different narrative going into the off season for what the perception is. Oregon won the Rose bowl and the whole off season. It was, this is a top 10 team fringe college football playoff contender. 
I think all of that was a little optimistic. I think in retrospect, given everything Oregon lost, and I think, I think most listening probably to agree to a certain extent that like there was a ton lost this year. Obviously some of it was COVID related. Maybe they, maybe they probably were more like a 12 to 15 type of team best case this year, given what was lost. But like, I, I do believe that like you go out and you win a bowl game that means something and you win it impressively. And even if you don't win impressively, you just win that bowl game. That matters. I think that that plays a role that that creates some momentum. The flip side of that, I don't necessarily know about that as much. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I think if, I mean, it's, I guess if you go out and just get absolutely blasted in the bowl game, like may, maybe, and you're embarrassed and it's just a complete disaster. But I also look and think like, you know, Mario Cristobal's first quote unquote game as a head coach. And he wasn't the head coach that season, but he was replacing Willie Taggart. They lost that game, and the next season they went out and won nine games and and looked really good. So, like, I I I don't know. I, I don't necessarily think losing a bowl game impacts you, but I, I think certainly the result of winning an impressive bowl game catapults you from a national perspective going into that offseason. And that kind of thing does matter because that really, you know, if you can say what you want, and the players I'm sure won't always agree with this, but the narrative outside a program is somewhat instructive in terms of what the expectations are. And I think that type of stuff really does matter. Yeah. I, I look at this and Oregon probably would not have been ranked in the top 10 this season, knowing all the players they lost to graduation, the NFL, and then the opt outs, if they didn't have the Rose bowl win, and if they didn't win the PAC 12 conference, like I think not, not to, pull a different sport into this, but Dana Altman on Tuesday did an interview about with, with media. And he was talking about how just games against UCLA and Arizona matter so much because he is trying to build Oregon to have the national reputation that comes with those programs and how every year they're all automatically just assumed to be really, really good teams, top 25 caliber teams. And I think Oregon from a football standpoint, tie it back to a football standard here, like, they're almost to that point now where every single year, it doesn't matter who they lose to graduation, to the NFL, to, in, to injury, they're going to be viewed as a top 20-ish team. And I think there are some programs out there that they've developed that reputation that no matter who they are, no matter who they were the year before, they whoever they lost – they are always going to be one of the better teams in the country. Like, why does Georgia consistently get ranked inside the top 10, top 20 to start the year every single year, no matter what they did the previous year in a bowl game or who they lose? Because every single year they sign like a top 10 recruiting class. They are like by far one of the most talented teams in the country every single season. And when you can go out as a head coach and at Oregon and say, hey, look, we are one of the most talented teams in the country. People will look at that. They'll see the recruiting success, continued recruiting success, and will rank you in, at a high level going into a year, no matter what you did the year before. I mean, Georgia is by the 24-7 sports has the, the college football team talent composite, and we update this every single year. Georgia is number one in 2020 going into this season. In 2019, they were third in the country in, in talent. In 2018, they were third. In 2017, 
they were fourth in 2016. Okay. They were sixth. And in 2015, when we first rolled this out from a team talent composite ranking, they were sixth. So in, in what the, the six years that we've done this on 24 seven sports, they have been no lower than sixth in the country in total team talent. That's why it doesn't matter the experience you bring back. If you feel the team that is significantly better, I'm excluding quarterback. If you, if the experience at every other position, if, if you bring in talent and you have the best talent and it's a, and it's a wide gap between you and your counterparts in your conference and your division or in the country, you will be viewed in a different manner than everybody else. And that's why I think in 2020, Oregon was picked to win the league because we don't trust USC at all. No one in the media trusts USC. They're 10th in the country in team talent. But everyone knows that Clay Helton does not do a good job of maximizing the talent that USC has. They, they are undisciplined. They make a ton of mistakes on the field. Uh, and, and they lose games that they shouldn't lose. Oregon is the second most talented team in the conference, and they're very close to USC at number 12. They are the best coach team in the conference. They are probably one of the more disciplined teams in the conference. They are recruiting every year at a better and better level. Um, Washington is third in the conference, and they've dipped significantly. The year before, they were much higher. Now they're 19th going into the season. Stanford is also starting to dip because they're 20th. They're seeing a lot of their recruiting kind of fall off. But then you look at the next team in the Pac-12, ASU 30, UCLA 31. Utah, 39, Cal, Colorado, 46 and 47. Like there's a huge gap between the, the Pac-12's top schools, USC and Oregon, everybody else. And Oregon, it's not going to, Eric, it wouldn't surprise me if next year Oregon surpasses USC in, in the team composite. No, no, it wouldn't either. I, I, I think that's actually probably pretty likely based upon the way this recruiting class is going. It's a slim margin right now that separates them. Um, do we want to really quickly answer the last part of this question, which is totally off topic of this, but just 2022 recruiting, do we think it's going to be impacted at all by COVID? Um, in a short answer, yeah, I do. I think so. Um, but I also don't think it's going to greatly impact like where Oregon was going to say, like, hey, we had the potential of signing a top five class in 2022, but now we're going to sign a top 25 class. I still expect the Ducks to uh, be a school that finishes in the top 10 every year under Mario Cristobal. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it, it well, here's what it does. It slows the early momentum, yes. which, is, which, is, which is a time where Oregon typically has been really successful. You think about the last couple of classes, they just, they get a lot of work done even before summer into summer, before the season starts, season starts. And suddenly you look up and they have 19 to 22 commitments or whatever it is. And you're going like, okay, they're almost done. It's going to be harder to build that kind of momentum unless you can get some kids on campus the sooner the later. That, that's, that's, that, that's the key is getting kids on campus early. And Oregon's fantastic, has been fantastic about getting kids on campus, maximizing that time. But that opportunity is going to be that opportunity is going to be diminished right now with the way the, with the, with the way the rules look and with kind of what the current landscape is for for college recruiting. Yes, hundred percent. I agree with you there. Um, this feels like a deal where. 
the momentum to land these, or, or, you know, to land massive amounts, like to land 75% of the, or the recruiting class by like July probably won't happen. Like it wouldn't surprise me, but I, right now I'm siding with Oregon might have half the class. And, and a lot of this could change. Like if the NCAA comes out, like, let's say not to go too far down the rabbit hole here, but let's just say by March, May, that time period that COVID-19 gets under control. A lot of the, the country has been vaccinated and traveling is back to safe standards and it's okay to leave and be in clusters again. And the world is getting is significantly closer to what a normal looks like. Maybe not all the way back, but looks more similar to what it was pre COVID than post. Um, and the NCA restrictions get lifted and schools can, can bring in guys for visits and have interactions with you know junior days and all of that. Like if, if Oregon gets that in May or early June, it wouldn't surprise me by August or early September. If Oregon has a majority of their recruiting class done, like I am fully on board that this staff cannot be outworked by anyone in the conference. So I look at this and think they, they're two time Pac-12 champions. They put a product that a lot of recruits love. They, they host a junior day in the summertime and they give proper notice. There's going to be a lot of recruits on campus and that's, that's going to be a huge step in landing verbal commitments. Yeah. It's going to be weird, man. This whole thing is weird. It's hard to project. I think everybody just hopes that, that things get back to quote unquote normal and whatever that new normal is, it happens sooner than later. But the reality is this year has gone both really quickly and really slowly. And I think everybody had anticipated things would be a little bit further along than they are right now, but they aren't. And uh, we'll just have to see what happens. I think it really helps Oregon to get those. Like I said earlier, it really helps Oregon to get this stuff going sooner than later, but we'll see what happens. It's, it's completely up in the air right now. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin audibles podcast. Thank you for listening. If you made it all the way through, if you have made it all the way through, please go and drop us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever platform you use to listen to the show. That helps us tremendously. And also, don't forget, $1 for your first month VIP coverage on DuckTerritory.com. Until we talk to you later this week, we'll catch you later. Talk to you later, folks.